Hello and welcome to Tape Notes, the podcast that looks behind the scenes at the magic of recording and producing music. Every episode we'll be reuniting an artist and producer and talking through some of the highlights from their collaboration in the studio. So join us as we lift the lid on the creative process and the inner workings of music production to see what lies beneath. Hello, I'm John Kennedy, and joining me for this episode of Tape Notes is Lick A. Lee with producer Bjorn Itling to talk about how they wrote, recorded and produced the album I. Lick A. Lee is a Swedish singer-songwriter whose music often combines elements of indie pop, dream pop and electronics. Growing up in a musical family and regularly travelling on tour with her father's band, Lickay's upbringing exposed her to a wealth of cultures and musical influences, leading her to pursue a career in the performing arts. Her initial attempts were met with indifference, but her tenacity paid off. Teaming up with producer Bjorn Itling in 2006, her sound began to come into its own, and in 2007 she released her debut EP, Little Bit. Her debut album, Youth Novels, arrived the following year. Brimming with unorthodox sounds and syrupy vocals, the album proved an international success, leading to a set-out US tour and appearances on some of the biggest festival stages across the globe. More success followed with the release of her second album, Wounded Rose, in 2011, including the international hit I Follow Rivers. A darker, more hypnotic work, it won her Best Artist and Album at the Swedish Grammys. Rounding off the musical trilogy, chronicling her early 20s with the album I Never Learn, her fourth, So Sad, So Sexy, released in 2018, saw her branch out, collaborating with artists and producers from further afield, including Rostam Batmanglij, Skrillex and Jeff Basker, among many others. For her latest record, I, she reunites with Bjorn, creating an immersive audio-visual album, charting the emotional fallout from the end of a relationship and approaching love and heartbreak on a more conceptual level. Bjorn Itling is a Swedish producer, songwriter and musician. Having been involved with music from a young age, Bjorn spent a lot of his teenage years playing guitar and organ in various music groups at school. In 1999, he moved to Stockholm alongside friend Peter Moran, a singer and guitarist, and it was here the pair met drummer John Eriksson and formed the band Peter Bjorn and John. Having dropped out of music college, alongside writing and performing with the band, Bjorn began working as a session musician, soaking up the skills and techniques of those around him. Enjoying this new direction, he began producing for his own band as well as various Swedish artists, including Nikolai Dunga, Money Brother and Marek Bergman. In 2006, Peter Bjorn and John found international success with the single Young Folks from their third album, Writer's Block. A breakout hit, it topped many end-of-year charts and was named the number one song on iTunes in 2007. At the same time, Bjorn began to work with increasingly high-profile artists, producing records for Robin, Primal Scream and Franz Ferdinand, and going on to write with the likes of Kygo, Will Young and Celine Dion. Having spotted potential in a young Lickay Lee, Bjorn has worked with her since her days as a fledgling artist, most recently producing her record, I. Today, I'm at home in Morden, South London, and I'm joined by Lickay from her home in LA and Bjorn from his studio in Stockholm. And what better way to start our conversation than by hearing something from the record? This is Highway to Your Heart. Hey 
It is Highway to Your Heart by Luke Lee from the new album I, and I'm very pleased to say that connected to me online in different parts of the world are Luke and Bjorn Itling. Hello, how are you? Hi. Hi, I'm good. Good, how are you? So I guess we should establish where you are. So I'm in London. Uh, Luke, where are you? I'm in LA, but I'm actually going to Stockholm on Saturday. So I'll see Bjorn soon. <laughs> right, and yeah. you're in, in Stockholm, Stockholm then, already, right. waiting. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting patiently. Um, so Highway to Your Heart is from the new album, I, which has come out recently. And that's the album we're going to look at today. We're going to look at a few different songs from it. And the first of them is over. But before we get started, I wanted to find out how you approached this album, because I think you, you had a strong idea of what you wanted to achieve and what you wanted to do in terms of how it was going to sound. Yeah. And the first step was to crawl back uh, with my tail behind my legs to Bjorn, <laughs> almost, <laughs> to just see if we could, you know, if we still had the alchemy of, of writing together. So we tried it in Stockholm when I was there, I think over a summer, and just me and him and a synth, and, and we felt like, okay, I think there's still something here. And then he came to L.A. where we set up a tiny home studio in my home. And uh, yeah, it was very important to keep it very raw and intimate. So it was basically only me and him. And I think probably that guitar you're holding and a synthesizer and amplifier with a mic and uh, a very broken heart. And uh, that's it. Yeah. And the results are really intimate, aren't they? Um, and it's a very intimate record that feels like we're alone with you in, in the room, Lekay. Thank you. <laughs> so, I mean, we are transported into that situation, which is very exciting. So having established yeah. that you had the rapport, that it was still there, that you hadn't lost that magic chemistry that had yeah. created so much great work in the past, and, and having worked out how you were going to do it, had you already written all the songs for it, or, or were you going to write together what did you do well it's more also like when you feel ready to write as a person is is a big deal like it takes me years to get to that place where i feel like okay i'm i'm ready to write about what what i've been going through or what i'm feeling um so we did kind of start writing a few songs here and there but really when we wrote no hotel and i remember it very vividly that's when i thought ah okay we're doing an album and this is the start. This is the premise that became almost the core, like the opening scene to what then unraveled. Yeah. And No Hotel is the opening track on the album. Yeah. The first song we're going to listen to, though, is Over. And maybe we could hear a blast of the master, Björn.
So that is over and how it ended up on the album I, but we're going to find out how it was created. So over is the seventh song mm. on the album in terms of the order of all the tracks. So in terms of creating it for the record, where where did it begin? Because I, you, you just told us how No Hotel really started the process. Yeah, I feel like this song was something that was kind of lingering around for quite a while we had right Bjorn we were like playing with that melody on synth for a while and I think the chorus was also another song for a while so like the melodies of that song were were around for a while but we didn't really somehow nail it until maybe the middle or the end no we I think first when you came here we we bounced around a couple of ideas. It was like, uh, are we going to do gospel with Mushroom, ABBA in a barn? And then <clears throat> when I came over to LA and we did No Hotel, we sort of found the direction and the frame for the whole thing. And then we looked into like this. We were very harsh on like old ideas. Like we like this, take this out, rewrite this, you know, like, so maybe this wasn't, a thing that survived and then we did I have this wasn't a demo it's on guitar here we did that for a while and you did that <laughs> oh my god this is the organ try it Like guitar, piano, or organ, you can we always like try it on different instruments to see if the vibe, you know, changes a, a lot or not. So we worked on that, and then we made. I don't know when we got the beat and that stuff. There was. I know. I feel later. like when you got the beat, that's when because I I was also very much like I'm always trying on every album to stay away from drums, and then somehow you <laughs> <I> sneak them in. <laughs> you sneak them in. Um, Why do you want to stay away from the drums? Okay. I don't know. I have like, I really realized this recently. I think I get an allergic reaction when I hear kick drums, <laughs> kick um, drums, <laughs> especially and like, and, and then hi-hat. I'm like snares and then this and that. So on this, <laughs> I think I really wanted to stay away from like drum kits. You know, more think about it in like a Simon and Garfunkel way, where like the drums are really just there to kind of support the vocal and the song, and you can barely hear it you can only feel it but this one was kind of one of the first tracks the drum or i mean percussion we would say is on the forefront but i felt also because on the album i'm trying to go through like the journey of of love also what happens like hormonally and neuroscientifically so this was like the kind of adrenaline moment where you're like fuck you I'm over you. I don't give a shit. I'm going to get out and like get wasted. So I think the cowbell kind of stands for like adrenaline and danger in this song. So when you showed me that, I was like, whoa, this is really special. Right. So uh, maybe if you just quickly show us what you had before the cowbell arrived. So the chords that you had. Let's see what this is. We- We have great fantasy, uh, like when it comes to like <laughs> believing in a, like this sounds crap, but it's like in our 
head together we we can actually feel like oh they could be you know big or you know i know i can i can hear it there the potential and even i'm singing the octave higher yeah but you're trying to figure out the form too and like and and also lyrics yeah this was probably what it was before we sort of like Lucia gives me like 15 minutes to create a beat and she goes out you know in the street or something and then it comes and like so you (laughs) you have like 10 15 minutes to (laughs) Find something like that's really going to blow her away, which sometimes works, usually not, but this time it did. And then it stays till like, you know, we did it on maybe, I remember the different track like back in the day, like Sadness is a Blessing, which was like, you just get something down and you know, it works. And then it sits till the album is finished and it's just, uh, you know, it's intact. And then sometimes you have to work, like maybe I Follow Rivers, for example, is you work more on it, like it's uh, long, but this is the best feeling when you get it and and she loves it and then it's done, you know, then you don't have to figure it out. So we had that stuff. I don't, I don't, because I don't think we recorded anything until we got the beat, or? Um, we did. We did like a synth and the, I think we had the beat, a synth and the click, and then I did this like, I hope you're not going to play it, but maybe it is interesting to hear it. I did this terrible vocal that we ended up keeping too, because there's something about when we finish the form and the lyrics, there's something about that energy when we're like playing it together for the first time that I can never recreate. But the problem is usually that I'm completely like slightly out of tune and it's like a crappy mic where everything is bleeding in. So this song was a real motherfucker to like mix. And also I tried doing the vocals again, but I couldn't do it again, even though they kind of sounded like shit. And I, I think in the end, in the master, I did do like doubles and like I played a lot with just textures on this song to kind of have it, I don't know, somehow like slide past, even though the original vocal sounds like, shit <laughs> well i think we've got to hear the beat uh, because that seemed to have been such a great catalyst uh yeah this is like organ stuff which is probably like from writing the song and piano It's probably your piano in LA, like. Uh, mm. That's sort of the basic thing, and then we. Um, so the beat. This is the beat here. Yes. It's not much. It's like two toms, uh, uh, cowbell, and then a, a ride. You know, with a. There is a kick too, sorry. But it, it's invisible. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? Because when you just listen to it isolated like that, it doesn't seem that impactful. But when you hear it in the context of the album, you know, by the time you get to over, you know, this makes a big entrance with that beat. It's interesting how it's so carefully placed in that way. And I can see how, see how it had such a big impact on, on the song as you were writing it. 
Yeah, it came in and, and took, like the, the cowbell has, I, I guess, like a gated reverb that we had in there. And then it's just like a nice sort of jazzy kick and two toms. But, I mean, that's great. If you get like three, four tracks of drums and it's enough, then it's, to me, that's a dream, you know. But because usually you come back and you're just disgusted of how much stuff you put on songs. Well, me anyway. <laughs> like, why? Why did we not like, you know, keep it to the bare minimum? And just like, you know, if you can get a song with like two, three elements. And, but I think this is maybe, this is one of those when it's, there's just, few things and they add up to become much much bigger than they should yeah is it possible to hear that vocal then like do you think like the shit vocal yeah yeah because you say that it's still part of the song it's still on the record yeah but i kind of drowned it out in like reverb and stuff like that but maybe it could be interesting to see how bad i actually sing <laughs> in, in real life gives everybody hope like myself it gives everyone that. hope that they can make it one day <laughs> yeah. too So is that the original vocal? Yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah, because you can hear the background because on this record, we didn't want to use headphones recording lead vocals or vocals. So we, we didn't. Then you get a lot of bleed, of course. And it only works if you don't take out a lot of elements that you can, you see what I'm saying? Like if you take out like the drums, then would, you would have heard them in the vocal track, but this, you can hear the, the, the organ and stuff that we had. I mean, they sound great to me. I mean, I think mm -hmm. a, a lot of vocalists would be thinking, oh, I'm delighted with that sound. Um, you've got high standards for yourself, I think, Lucky. Thankfully. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's there's there are moments where you want to like I think you went in and wanted to like change, but then it you couldn't like do it as well and get the vibe right. So. There's something about exactly that like the time because we we also were playing everything together at the same time. Bjorn would play synth and I would sing, and we would like lay it down together in the room. So there's something about feeling the timing together as well that can never really be recreated when you like you know do your vocals on top of things i kind of hate that too i've never really succeeded in like nailing a vocal afterwards do you think that's because in in many ways it's all about the emotion it's all about the feeling that you're trying to get across yes about the feeling and it's about the energy like it's a very real thing to be playing with someone and also when you're when you just kind of figured out the song like you know, we, we work it out in the moment and I'm like writing, oh, maybe like this. And then finally I'm like, okay, I, I have it. Let's put down one. It's like, you're also kind of dancing with the song. Like you don't know either what's, so it's like very alive in that moment. Like you're dancing on top of the feeling and the chords and you're still filled with like curiosity and very much in the moment because you don't really know it yet either. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're going to recreate it, it's going to be tough. It's like if you have a good time sitting at home at a dinner party or something, and then you're going to say the same thing again, and it's supposed to be funny. You know, it's, it's yeah, not easy, yeah. <laughs> not yeah. natural. It only happens once, you know, the first time for everything. Yeah. The first time you, you sing it. And what are you singing into here? 
I think that one was just like a SM58, right? Yeah. Yeah. But we also used uh, a lot um, AKG 190. That one was the one, the best one. We used it a lot for in writing and with a little amp too. Yeah. And and that was for this recording. You now that was the whole approach. You know that you would just keep it basic and simple in terms of the equipment you were going to use for recording the vocals. Yeah, I just remember you. I think the working title was Lo-Fi at that time for the whole album, uh, right? For the whole album, mm. yeah. And also, like I I wanted all the bleed because that's also how you know this is. I was trying to create like a sonic movie and like in real life and in the movies there's a lot of sounds going on all the time there's like you know traffic there's ac there's people talking there's birds so like i really wanted to capture actually like all the the environment and the sounds and then i also have uh, outside of my hatred for kick drums i also have um, vocal phobia <laughs> like especially vocal studio phobia headphone phobia headphone phobia so whenever I have phobia. to like do a vocal with headphones on a proper mic, I completely like choke and it, it brings me back to like the time where I got, I didn't pass music school and my teacher said that I, uh, what does this say? What's tone deaf in English? <laughs> tone deaf? I don't know. Yeah, tone yeah. deaf. Yeah. That's what they told me. So it kind of... When you can't sing a note like, you know, or... Yeah, it just like, re- it's traumatizing. Anything. Right. But your success is um, your FU to those teachers. They don't know what they're talking about. I'm still trying, you know, to, <laughs> to prove them wrong. <laughs> well, I'm doing pretty well, I would have thought. So once you had the right energy with that vocal and you also had the beat now, so you had these two magical ingredients, you know, yeah. what, what happened next with the song? I mean, did progress speed up? Yeah, well, it's also that, I mean, those synths, we added like layers of that and the call, the, I don't know what that, thing you had where we sang into a thing and everything yeah, sounded this, drunk all of a sudden and that's very yeah, much yeah it was called pipe or something and some our friend tom monahan that set this studio up in lucas um house for us he was like you should try this thing it's called pipe uh, he i don't know he saw it in some magazine or something and it, it sounded we when you sing through it it's like I wanted also this very drunk feeling because it's about like getting sober from this person, but also like getting fucked up to get over this person. So like I wanted everything to be like altered and and intoxicated. Right. Can you see this pipe here? Bjorn, you show me what looks like a, a kind of like a pipe or vaping tool. <laughs> In, yeah, in a way. This is, <laughs> maybe you can connect it to a vaping thing. I don't know. It's just like a multi-effect, but you don't know what you're doing when you're doing this, so it's weird. And yeah, it was kind of nice to use on different um, things. And then we had, I think, we worked a lot on like the details. We had this stuff, for example, like on the mid eight. And what is that? I don't know. It's... <laughs> he was drunk <laughs> when he did it. <laughs> I don't know, it's just like a filter. Abby Dubby step. It's just a preset. I don't know. But um, 
we worked on that, and then we also like worked on getting the um, what's this Casio? I think I'm singing through the guitar or something. You know, these things took maybe a long, the longest time to work out. Yeah. Right at the end of mid eight, like what are we supposed to do on the mid eight? Yeah. Getting the piano in there because the piano is sort of your. Uh, sidekick in this movie a little bit yeah it feels like it comes in and straighten things out maybe let's hear that piano the piano comes in and uh, this is not the piano but here i don't know which piano it It could be at lucas place or here in stockholm but then it's out so it's there well there is piano on the other parts though. Björn, did you say that's you singing to or through your guitar? That, that, uh, that, that was that, like is a that whistle whistling? thing. Is whistling one of your trademarks, Björn? Uh, <laughs> well, I'm just thinking <laughs> <but> this is <laughs> some of your biggest breakout um, <laughs> tunes. It's always little... good to whistle because it sort of sounds uh, like singing, but not like me singing. And I think it's it's a good instrument to use, and you can play guitar and whistle at the same time. Yeah. So, but this is probably like singing into the guitar. It could be me or like I'm not mm. really sure actually. It's like because we pitch up and down a little bit. So also the beginning I think is so beautiful with yeah. like the organs in the beginning when it's like exactly. Uh, was the X Files? Yes. Vibe, maybe. It does sound lovely, though. This the whistling sound is the Casio 101 or something. The right. synthesizer. Because in a way, you know, it could even be Ennio Morricone esque or something like that. Yeah, but then and the last piece that we put in was probably like the Moog Rogue. This is it's not so bass heavy. This album, it's not like the bass takes a huge part, but we have like a nice Moog Rogue with its own life and flaws and sound. I mean, it's a, it's the real keyboard, so you just have to get it um, going. And that rogue is like on, on a lot of songs too. Yeah, uh, for a bass. In, in a way that it, it works so well because this is a such a pivotal song on the album because this is a a moment of change, isn't it, for yeah. the the character that suddenly they're over this person and well trying to be, and then realizing yeah. at the end, like when you're super drunk, that you feel like you're back in their arms. You know that feeling. Like you're drunk texting someone at the end, so it's a song of denial. Right. So you think you're over it, but maybe you're not. The drunker you get, you realize, no. That there's still further work to be done. Yeah. But um, even so, when I've been listening to it, because I find this album so immersive, you know, it's the best way to listen to it. Just let it wash over you and just keep it on repeat. Yeah. Because it's pretty short, so it repeats itself know quite easily you can go back in for more and there are points when you're listening to over that those affirmations that you are over it that you're going to stop drinking that you know you don't want to get i I don't know i find them really believable you know like you're convincing yourself but i'm convinced as well 
that that process has taken place. It has. Yeah, it has. And it kind of, <laughs> well, now it has. Well, it also leads you up to the final song, you know, like yeah. the final scene. You are there standing in front of each other and like, oh shit, this is the final scene. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that final scene yeah. in a moment. But the next song we're going to look at is Carousel. But before we start looking at Carousel, it would be brilliant if you could build up over and then we'll hear it in all its shimmery glory in the final mix but i think you're going to play the unmixed parts first aren't you yeah let's hear some organ that we sort of started on here we go and i mean we added the bass uh, And then we got the um, this is the verse and and Licky singing. Let me come into the chorus here with some. Some sense. Yeah, and then let's drop in the full master on the second verse here. Yeah. So that is the full mastered version of Over from I. And the next song we're going to look at is Carousel. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with that in just a moment. You may have heard us talk about Tape It before. And if you haven't, then let me fill you in as they are the sponsor of today's episode with a fantastic offer for you. Tape It is an iPhone recording app made by musicians for musicians. Many of our guests on Take Notes, music industry friends and listeners rely on voice notes to record their early ideas. People like the Lumineers, Ezra Collective and Fred again have all shared recordings with us made on voice notes. But what you wouldn't have heard are the long pauses where they're searching for those recordings. We wouldn't want to put you through that. As you can understand, organising and finding the right notes, let alone a specific part, can be a nightmare. Tape It solves all of that voice memo chaos with intuitive labeling features, including automatic instrument detection, markers, and collaborative mixtapes, meaning you can share band practices, organize set lists, and brainstorm ideas with co-writers and band members. Plus, you can record straight from your lock screen and attach text and photo notes to each recording. One of our favorite features within Tape It Pro is that you can record in stereo using two microphones along with gentler dynamic compression to give a much more natural sound than any of the usual apps. It's a huge upgrade to the microphone and all-round audio quality. It really helps support the podcast whenever you engage with our sponsors. So if Tape It sounds like an app you'd use, then do us a favor. 
pause the episode, head to the link in a recent episode show notes, or visit tape.it forward slash tape notes and give tape it a go. That's tape.it forward slash tape notes. You can download for free or use the promo code tape notes for 50% off tape it pro. Thank you. And now on with the show. Did you do it? Honestly, Tape It is fantastic. All of the Tape Notes team members are complete converts. And excitingly, some of our guests have started to use it as well. So I really would recommend checking it out. This episode is supported by Museversal, an amazing new service for working with session musicians remotely. If you use session musicians or would like to, but it's been too expensive or hard to organise, this is for you. And we have a special offer for any Tape Notes listeners, 25% off for the first three months, and you get to skip the wait list. But more on that in a moment. I've got David from Museversal here to tell us all about it. Hello, David. What is Museversal? Hey, John, thank you so much for having us on here. Appreciate it a ton. Museversal is an online remote recording studio for artists, producers, composers, anyone who's a music creator to work with session musicians remotely. In a couple of clicks, you can go on and you can book a session with a drummer or a guitar player, a piano player, you name it, they're on the platform And so the way that it works is all of the sessions are hosted over live stream. So all of the, you know, revisions and feedback and all of the different little, you know, hey, um, would you mind, you know, moving to the ride symbol for the fourth bar? Or would you mind, you know, finger plucking instead of using a pick? You know, all of those types of creative choices can happen quite literally as if the musician is in the room just done over live stream. Yeah. It sounds amazing. And in a way, the clue is in the name. Museversal, it means that whether you're a beginner or whether you're somebody with a lot of experience, you can still get access to the same kind of level of musicianship and creativity. Yeah, it's amazing because it allows the music to have expression on it and musicianship that, you know, if I'm sitting in my basement playing piano versus a piano player that's played for, you know, Jay-Z or has been playing for 25 plus years, the material that comes out of that is going to sound night and day. What does it cost? So the service is $200 a month US and included in that is all of the sessions. So there's no additional fees or anything. You know, you get to book as many sessions as you can have per month. To put it in perspective, the average user probably books about five to seven sessions per month. But we actually have some users booking 10, 12, 15 sessions per month. So I mean, you can do the math on 200. The The deal really is awesome. And it, it allows people to work with incredible musicians and, and you know, not break the bank. It sounds great. Can you remind us what the offer is for Take Notes listeners? Well, look, we're so thankful um, that you guys are having us on here. What we would love to do is offer 25% off per month for their first three months. And then the other cool part is they get to skip our wait list. So, you know, we usually run a wait list. It's about two weeks long. But in this case, you know, finding us through this episode, you could have a session as early as tomorrow. Fantastic. And to get the offer, all you have to do is find the link in any of our recent episode show notes. David, thank you so much for speaking to us. And maybe one day we'll be talking about a piece of music that's been created using Museversal. That would be incredible. We cannot wait for that day. The next song we're going to look at from Licky Lee's I album is Carousel. But before we start playing that, I thought I'd ask you both about how you first met. Because Licky, you referenced that you were experimenting by hooking back up with Bjorn after a bit of a, a break. But it was kind of working together that kind of helped both of you get things started, wasn't it? Well, Bjorn was already a big producer. He had done Young Folks and I was... 
19 with a big attitude. And I think someone who I played my demo for at the time was like, you have something, but you really need a producer. Because that was the demos that I had like done myself on the 8-track. And then I met Bjorn when I was 19 and uh, you were already the biggest deal in, in Sweden. So um, somehow you took me under your wings and I owe my career and all my skills in, in <laughs> songwriting to you. No, no, but it was a good, uh, you came down to the studio. I remember when I, when you came down and I think you played me something on like the Wurlitzer or the piano or something. I don't know, I wasn't sure about the, <laughs> maybe you had the demos up on like MySpace or something. I had a version of Little Bit that was more like R&B, remember? Yeah, I was like, uh, I think Erika Badu does that better. <laughs> so she finds some other angle maybe <laughs> for you. And um, I wasn't sure what, what you had. <laughs> Nobody knew at that time. <laughs> no, I was like, it, it wasn't so, you, you didn't sing well, you didn't have any good songs. So, <laughs> so I'm like. I had good but, titles and maybe. Actually, I was working with Robin at the time. And I asked her, like, Robin, um, so maybe I met this girl, she's called Dick. I said, oh, said Robin, so maybe you can write something together. She's like, does she sing well? I'm like, not really. And <laughs> <laughs> she has good songs. I'm like, no. <laughs> and then she, so what does she, I don't know, never mind, you know. And then I sort of later understood what you had. It was like, you know, what is X it? Factor Please or a star me. quality or something like that you can't really describe. I couldn't describe it anyway. So it was a... That was too bad for her. I mean, Robin. Uh, but then we sort of got into like listening to music from like that you didn't hear before, I guess, like Suicide, Dr. John and stuff like that. So it was more like, um, I think you definitely had something and maybe that something was the most important thing. Uh, I, I don't think I'm a good A&R, but... Clearly not. But, but, <laughs> clearly not. <laughs> but you did also take me under your wing, so probably, Yeah, actually. so maybe I am a good A&R. I don't know, somehow. But but then we started working, and it was fun, and we had got some, like, um, cool ideas. And we listened to sort of everything at that time. Like, it could be, like, Vitalik, or you know, it could be, like, techno or old blues, or, you know, or rock and roll, or, like, gospel, or children's music from the 70s or you know anything so we had a it was fun like exploring that with Lykke and then my band started taking off Peter Bjorn John started taking off and I went on tour and I told Lykke to stay put and not like go and do any like shows and show people the songs because they weren't ready and then I saw like <laughs> <laughs> In the papers, like, luckily, it's been on, you know, you started like singing on bar. I would jump bars, on like a like, bar desk yeah. and I would like play our demos and sometimes it would be like <laughs> in like, the wrong stop. key. <laughs> <laughs> but it created a buzz when I was away, like starting like touring. So when I came back after a while, a couple of months, we had to do something to like, because people started, you know, wanting to like sign you and stuff, right? Yeah. That's when we did Little Bit and that Little Bit EP yeah. with those songs, you know. Was, I remember it was like Easter and we could only afford like being in the studio on, I know it's called Easter's Eve or something when no one was there. So, you know, and we mixed it ourselves and w there was really like no one there and we made 
like two or three songs maybe yeah three songs and then yeah. also i did the video the little bit video i, I like yeah asked my friend and i like paid him i don't know we bought film for two thousand dollars and then we shot the whole thing on like 16 millimeter yeah wow i mean that sounds like quite a big outlay and quite a big in investment for the, At the, for the time, film. yes, for sure. Yeah, and quite a commitment. It's interesting. So when did you first meet then? Were, were we talking 2006? or uh, I guess. Yeah. Something oh. like, I don't know, you have to retract the years. I have no memory. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it's a fascinating introduction to each other and evolution of both friendship and your musical relationship. Um, and, and it's tricky. There must have been quite a lot of self-belief, Lique, in, in you that... Because it sounds like you were being buffeted around a bit, you know, with a few people being kind of negative, but at the same time being interested in you because you had something well, and they couldn't put their finger on it. I also came back from New York when I was 19. I, I just, when I came back to Sweden, I had been in New York for three months where I had gotten booed off the stage. Um, <laughs> like open mic <laughs> stuff? Like actually or was it? booed off. So I came back with some type of like... And, you know, this is my hero's journey, like completely broken. But somehow I don't know what was wrong with me at the time, because I don't have that so much anymore. But yes, at the time I, I had a imagination and somehow I also understood the power of, of song, like actually writing a song that becomes big can like take you away from like can like bring you a whole new life and it's true that like the power of song can create like you know and it did for me too now I live in LA and like my whole life is different than if I would have stayed in in Stockholm that's so interesting because you can sit down with nothing exactly you don't even need a guitar I have one I got it from my dad so it's cool but you don't even need and you didn't have you just like sang on your phone I guess you know, you don't ha you don't need nothing. You can, and then you get something. You you create something. It could be like a a big song or like something that actually like changes your life. That's it does. That's, yeah, that is amazing. And that then also Drake Drake put a little bit on his EP. The now that, I realize yeah, is yeah. like a really big deal. Yeah, but at the time it was like maybe two thousand eight when he yeah. did those versions. I remember I saw an email someone emailed me like, oh, Drake, put your, because he put a PBJ song on there too. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, who's Drake? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's pretty, pretty, but he was, I mean, he was, you know, started. before he, yeah. yeah. So he included them in, in a mixtape then of some kind. Later, later. Right. But somehow, yeah, a little bit had a bit of a, of a vibe. I feel like it, mm. it traveled. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely people listened a lot to it because I was also like touring and we did all these like big festivals and, and people in music business definitely listened to our records. Like, it's yeah. like they sat down and listened to this, what we did. And that was kind of, that's a cool part of it. Like, And wh where do you think this drive came from, Lique, that you had? You know, that you'd studied music? No, I tried to study music, but actually I was in dance school and then I quit dance school because I wanted to be a musician and I didn't get into music school. <laughs> it's been really like, I think this drive comes from like being like a bullied middle child. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know? So you want to show. Exactly. What, like, what's that like? Because I'm the oldest. Yeah, it was horrible <laughs> being a, a middle child. And I think also you're so uncomfortable in your own skin in where you are 
that the the most relief is like creating other worlds to step into and i felt especially like i was quite depressed in my teenage years and i remember even the first song that i don't know if i played you born was like called born blue so i wrote just like the most yeah. depressing songs and somehow i got a sense of escape and relief for it so it was kind of the only thing that kept me going when i was younger was music yeah wow and and so that was listening to other people's music but also thinking about trying to create your own yeah and i especially when i was in new york i was singing other people's music and like trying to sing and got booed off um like whenever i tried to do anything people like i never got the part you know i'd like try out for like musicals when I was a kid and like think like this is my shot and like people would like laugh at me so I really understood that the only way for me to have some type of path is to to write my emotions and to kind of be in that vibration of like complete honesty and vulnerability yeah which is what you do through your songs and and your music that's what I do and and thankfully I'm a better singer and a better crafter, can you say that? A better writer today. Yeah, fascinating. And so linking that into Carousel, which is the song we're going mm -hmm. to look at now, um, this kind of um, turbulence that has kind of moved you around over all these years in your development as a, as a creative person and as a songwriter and as a musician is really interesting. And so Carousel is the fifth song on the I album. And that yeah. kind of ties in with the story within the album. Yeah. Um, we're going to play the master of Carousel and then we'll go back and have a look at how it developed. So we're going to listen to the master now. So that is Carousel from I, and now we're going to find out how Carousel started. So where did you begin? Well, this song began in kind of, we had many different angles on this song, just as, you know, the concept of this album in general is a bit staring at my own, like, repetition and my obsession with, with love and in some ways addiction and kind of you know, examining the loop as a form. So I, I was kind of carrying around this title for a while and I tried to write it in many different ways. I thought it was something so interesting to describe, you know, love as a carousel that like you step on and it totally like takes you onto another place and you can't get off. So I had the title, but I couldn't really like figure out where and how to use it. And then we also had that synth 
that little synth riff. Yeah. And I was like, I oh, that's so cool. It kind of sounds like some like... I can play that. Yeah. There was a demo because I came to Lykke's place and I stayed in a hotel nearby. And I I guess I did a couple ideas to bring up to you, Lykke. And then this was maybe one of those. I'll play it now. Or did we do it in your like in a session with you yeah. maybe later like when we were supposed to finish and then we did yeah I think we did that it was called craft work first because <laughs> it was sort of like a little bit of craftwerk vibe to it that was it and then you put you sort of like had a lyric idea, I guess. And well, the that. way we actually, because I, I love that that little riff. And it, it kind of reminds me of like, I don't know, it feels like very like Swedish somehow, like Roxette or like Europe or something. Right, you know, right. Like, <laughs> I was like, ah, that's so cool. But it was, a, it was very hard to like place or write to it, you know. So we kind of had it like looming, but like how can you actually make this into a song? So remember that we put it, you went on the guitar and played the chords and that's when the song kind of came. Do you, I have a version of like a singing only on the guitar. Let's see. Oh, nice. Can you hear this? Yeah, and I remember. Because we... That was easier for you to sort of like come up with stuff. Exactly. Yeah. We had those parts and I was like, I have no idea where. But then when we... But maybe that was also the, the fact that it's hard for you to sing to a track. Exactly. So, and, that, and, that, and the Kraftwerk uh, idea was sort of more like a track. We put yeah. It, yeah. And it became more like a folk song when you... In, and I yeah. remember this was actually the last song we put on the album. Like that we kind mm. of finished... Do you remember? And then we did like the stick and then we had that crazy synth thing. Then we did the mid eight and we tried and then we put back the exactly. uh, we put back craft work thing that was out for a minute. Yeah. So And that synth thing too was another that was its own part, but we're like, this is so magical. It transports you to another place. It's kind of like that's the moment where you take the pill. Let me play some of that stuff. It's uh, mainly made on a Krumar string. Like this brass part and a little like string stuff. Feels like we should do movie music. Well, wait, that, that's the plan. Or <laughs> this. The plan? That's good. Because this is nice. This was like the last 
last bit of the year song. Yeah, and and I remember that part too because that was just its own part. And and when I heard it, I was like, it. I got pain in my heart, and it was almost like seeing a whole relationship in slow motion. And even the moment when you fall in love, you also know how much it's gonna hurt. So it's like watching kind of a car crash in slow motion. And I was like, whoa, that needs to come at the end of Carousel where where kind of the dream and reality meet and these two dimensions meet and like we go into the B side of the album, you know? So I almost mm. see it as an A side and a B side. And this is yeah. where like, and also I was doing a lot of uh, psychedelics at the time. So like, I want this to kind of- Really? Really? I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> So I thought it was also really interesting to to start really making music without words that say so much, at least to me. That part kind of like encapsulates the whole album, like devastation, love, intoxication, like everything. Yeah, which is quite an achievement really in just a few bars that you can sum things up and sum up those feelings and this transitional time that, you're experiencing it's also the climax of the album i see it like that's where like you you know because even when you take a mushroom it takes a moment for it to kick in so hopefully that's when it kicks in (laughs) (laughs) and then we at the end we had we put the piano in which is a little like companion For you on this album i feel yeah so it, exactly the piano it, uh, this is also a different idea yeah that we had which is sort of like maybe like a different song i don't know like but, yeah but we only took the last part of it yeah also i remember the the stick also like the mid eight yeah the mid eight yeah. i kind of had like because we wrote this song and it just happened in like one go and then remember i did like all the harmonies yeah on the spot and i had such a like it was such a beautiful Thing to like harmonize with myself so much I kind of went into like I've always had a dream of doing like Crosby Stills and Nash vibes so that was my moment to like really go there with the harmonies we are we're not really doing that on any no. other part maybe you want to at least showcase that now yeah, I can sing <laughs> <laughs> now I'm not tone deaf <laughs> Oh, there's more here. Oh, sorry. Yeah, and then it's coming. It's like... Nice. Nice. How many different voices did you do? There's a lot there. <laughs> <laughs> Can you see how many? I don't know. There's a lot. There's yeah, a lot. There's a lot of tracks. And you got to... Fulfill a dream of being Crosby, Stills and Nash. Finally. <laughs> There's been a lot of broken dreams up until now. So, yeah. Up until now. That's excellent. And it's almost as if when, you know, the, the track bit that you you initially discovered or created and then you took it away and then you reintroduce it because that helps conjure up the, the, the carousel of the title, doesn't it? And conjures yeah. up that fairground feel. Exactly. And also remember we didn't do this it was not to click, we sang live vocals and guitars. So it was quite, you had to like really work to put the old synths, yeah. like matching with the guitar. 
uh, we tried to make it on a different synth, but then it was like, uh, it sounds better. So we had like, we had the organ going, and we also had This is my excellent playing here, but we tried to do that instead of the original, but then we needed to take in the original anyways, because it didn't sound right. So it came back. And so, Lika, you were saying that this all came very quickly once you started with the section where Bjorn was playing the guitar and you were singing along, then suddenly things all moved very quickly. Yeah, once he took it, like once we muted the synths and we were just on the guitar instead, then the whole song came in, in one go and then we kind of pieced it together again and realized that that other synth part was like the gateway to heaven somehow and we had to put that together. And it somehow worked. It's like two very different things. Yeah. And this was all done in, in your house? This was actually in Stockholm. Right. Yeah, the first part was done yeah. in, in your house. And then we, the last, the other part with the 70s synth stuff was made here in Stockholm. The Ingrid studio. So this was late on in, in, this, in the session. So maybe we should round things up with Carousel so we can move on to you and I. Is there anything else that we haven't touched on? Um, no, I think that's good. Okay, excellent. Well, let's return to the full finished version of Carousel and then we're going to talk about you and I. So that is Carousel, and the next song we're going to look at is You and I. The next song we're going to look at from I by Lique Lee is You and I. But before we start listening to that, Björn, throughout the course of our conversation, you've had an acoustic guitar on your lap. <laughs> is that the very one you referenced that your dad gave you a guitar? Is that the very same? It's not the same, <laughs> <laughs> because I was so worried about... I have that at home right now. So I was so worried about like, you know, crushing it or something like losing. So I bought like nine or 10 of them, the same mod. It's a Levine, it's a Swedish brand. So I just buy all the of them that I see, you know. So this is called Ingrid, this particular one. And then I have named them from like the city I bought them in. So it could be like Sundsvall or Gothenburg or... right. So the, I have I have a lot everywhere. Yeah, but you and, know, and I, I love the fact that you immediately sat down and put the guitar on your lap. You know, and it seems like it's a a very important thing to have there with you all the time. I write most songs on that guitar actually. So and it's 
probably the only guitar I can play anyway. So, <laughs> you know, and it's easy. You know, I play piano and I learned how to play piano and that's, but it's not as convenient when you write, I think. So that guitar is a big, big part of my music. Yeah. And what, what age were you when your dad gave it to you? Uh, five, maybe four. Yeah. Wow. So that really is quite young, isn't it? And so did that set your path? Maybe. I don't know. And then, I, you know, I had the guitar and I had a pump organ. We didn't have, I'm from up north Sweden. We didn't have pianos. It was too cold for them, maybe, or something. So we had pump organs and um, in the classrooms, maybe everybody had that. I don't know. And just like shitty guitars. So, and then when I turned 15, I actually got an amp liquor that you used a lot on your albums because we put Lickers vocals through the amp and a Hagstrom amp that we still have here, but we used it more in the first two albums. Yeah. And did you follow music in terms of education? Did you go on to study music? Yeah, I was really sh interested in like becoming a musician or something, but I wasn't really sure what a musician did or, <laughs> you know, how it... Well, I didn't know at all. Like, I'd never been in, into a studio when I was like 16 or, you know. So I went to high school, I guess, with the music, sort of a little touch of music. Not so much like rock. It was more like singing, choir, I don't know. You, but you met other people. So I met Peter, for example, that I started a band with. And also I um, learned enough on piano so I could start uh, going to a uh, one year at a, like a jazz school, and then I quit that jazz school, and then I started working instead, like in Stockholm. What? So you immediately started working in terms of production? No, I started working as playing piano and uh, organ and stuff like that. And then at that time, I didn't really know what a producer did, but I knew that I probably could do what the producer did because he at the time asked me what I was, you know, for ideas and stuff. I'm like, oh, well, you know. So I, I sort of, I went into sessions. I started like playing live. For example, I started playing with um, Soundtrack Our Lives live. Right. And I played with uh, Caesar's Palace. And Caesar's Palace was a big deal in Sweden. At that time, they got a gold record. And then they got the first like iPod shuffle commercial which was a big deal everywhere. So we went on tour, you know, from 2004 or something, everywhere, and especially in the States. And, um, you know, then I just started, like, producing records at that time, too. So it was sort of a... I did that before I met Lykke. And also I did my own band, which was, you know, heard by no one and no one cared uh, up until, like, 2006 when we made a song that people wanted to hear. Which was Young Folks. So, uh, it was young folks and, and then it took off and then I went on tour again on the same, you know, places I've been with Soundtrack and uh, Caesar's Palace and, and then Lykke went, you know, the year after. So it was a good, you know, it was interesting because I guess, you know, people liked our sort of music at the time. So it was good. Yeah. And but you had a, enough of a reputation by the time you met Lykke that she already thought of you as this this big producer person that... You know, she got involved in. I mean, that's that's what she was explaining to us. Yeah, in Sweden, I had 
I had it going for me. <laughs> you know, it, it was kind. Of, it was sort of like you know it, because we did a record. You know, I, I shout out loud. So I did a couple with them and you know some other Swedish bands and artists too. It, it was people liked my taste, shared my taste, so it was kind of easy. And uh, but it was also fun because I worked a lot with like male vo- vocalists at the time. So I thought it was really great, like working with Lycke at the time, too. And then after I worked with Lick, of course, I worked a lot with female vocalists. But um, at yeah. that time, I didn't do that so much. Yeah. I was going to say it became your, your thing, but you're known for so many different things that it's impossible to, to pigeonhole you. No, but I mean, uh, I, I got into like, uh, because bands, I did also like bands a lot, of course. I like bands and recording bands, but... um then, of course, because people like Lickes albums and they listen to it a lot and they think like they can, you know, get some of that magic by working with me. But and they can't. No, they can't. <laughs> I'm telling them, but they come anyway. <laughs> you can't get that magic. You know, it's sorry, just, you're, that's you're just, just me, you know. You're, you're just born with it. I you're don't have any it. other talent but that. Yeah. <laughs> Magician. Well, this isn't quite true because uh, you're an actress as well, and oh. you've got. I a must say, uh, of all the artists I work with, um, Lycke is definitely one of the best in like in doing the funniest. Yeah, and <laughs> no, one of the best in like keeping her pr- because it's so huge. Like being an artist, it, you can't believe you don't think that when you're just a fan, like how much you have to work and how much you have to believe in yourself and do stuff and all the time and like do this and that. It's just so much. I don't consider myself really an artist, though I've been in bands. But it's like being a solo artist, it's really it's really tough. So, I mean, being one of the best at... That, like what she said before, when she did a little bit video to just like getting her friend to like do, you know, like buying that, finding, inventing a new hairstyle in Sweden. I know all, it's just like, <laughs> there's a lot, of course. And, and I definitely think she's one of the best I worked with. Yeah. So You and I is the next song we're going to look at. Mm. We're going to hear a bit of the master and then we'll go back to how it all began. I'm going to close my eyes Don't want to see you back walking This can't be the final line Can't take so breaking through the line baby cross it every night you are see so So that is You and I, how it sounds on the finished record of I by Lickay Lee. So this closes the record in a very distinctive way. How did it begin? This song, we played on the piano a lot and we had we were really working on the form for quite a bit. Like, what's the pre, what's the chorus, what's the verse? But we had that, turn around, yeah, you, that part for a while. 
and we always have one song on the album that takes kind of a long time there's many different versions and like should it be drums no drums tempo keys so I feel like this one we really were kind of struggling with for a while and and especially after you know the movie is you and I we try to find some riff like different things on guitar so much drums and I was kind of becoming really unhappy the more drums we put on it and it felt really I feel like sometimes you and me, we also disagree about tempo. Things feel fast to me, slow to you, right? Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I'm not singing, so maybe that's why. But but um, I think it's different Like if I sit and play you know, to a tempo and listen to you compared to like being you singing yeah. and trying to invent and come up with lyrics at the same time. You know, it's definitely like more stressful singing i think so but i had i had a little like demo i don't know is this correct is this this on piano this is probably in your living room or yeah with different lyrics and then we try a different key you know like Just we always do that, like try to figure out like where it's at and what's the best. And then we had a little like idea with guitar. I, I don't know if you remember this. But it's not like we thought this is gonna be on guitar. It's more like a working tool that we try it and maybe we find some different angle or something, right? Yeah. Like, it's like yeah, just to, bring to up, find the song. You know, Maybe move from the piano, do a different, like get a new, new vibe. So that's what we did for a long time on this song and had different parts coming in and out. And Well, we had, so this was also quite, because I remember this very well. It was in the pandemic and I couldn't go to Sweden for a year and a half. So then finally I got to go for a month to finish the album. So I remember this was like two days before I was supposed to go back to L.A. and did not know when I could ever come back again. So we had like a version that right, just right, didn't right. sit. And I was like, and we kind of got into that space where like, you're like, I've tried 4 million things. And I'm like, I don't know what to say. I'm really not happy. You know, like the divorce part of the album. <laughs> and then... Luckily, I just like don't remember. <laughs> I know. That's what trauma does to you. So then yeah. we had a version and we tried to find like a call and response thing, like some like guitar solo. Do you remember? Yeah, I remember that. That's, that's yeah, because I put it out with a different artist. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, but it's a, that's a cool um, song and it's still, yeah, it's like electric guitar. I think that could be a song one day actually. Yeah. Because also, Lycke, one day I came to the studio and you said, I'm happy now. I don't know if I can finish this album. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm like, shit. <laughs> okay. And then I went back to the studio. I called my manager. I'm like, okay, Lick is happy. I don't know. It's not going to be. <laughs> I was gonna, she wants to do ABBA on Mushroom and like uh, with a Diplo kick drum oh or something. God. And then I'm like, okay, let's do that. So... We did that, and it sounds pretty <laughs> cool. I like the guitar stuff part, and we had that too. So, and the, but then the day after, I came to the studio, and then like, okay, she was unhappy again. 
I'm, I'm, I'm happy again. I call my manager. She's unhappy. It's cool. I'm I'm still here. Yeah, but back to the to the stock <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. because I remember. Yeah, I wasn't happy then. So the drum song didn't really work for me anymore. And I remember. Okay, let's. And I was really going into like a dark hole, thinking like I'm coming back to LA and I don't have my album finished. This is like a complete disaster. So then I was like, okay. I remember I went out that night and then I texted you in the morning, like 8 a.m. in the morning and I was quite hungover. We got to the studio at 9 a.m. and I'm like, let's just do one take, just you and me on the synth, just like without a click and just like, let's just feel it. And I kind of had never been able, I was really nervous about doing the vocals on this song because I felt like it was so, such a vocal song too. Like the vocals kind of carry the whole thing. And I remember, okay, let's do a take, just you and me on the synth. And then somehow, remember, we took the vocal and reversed it. And that's when the whole thing unlocked for me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it kind of became this like. I wonder why we did that. Because we, because we I talked wanted, about you talked about making the whole album backwards or something. Yeah, like I wanted too. to it really like, play with the loop and like go into this like yeah. really psychedelic, more healing, like vocal ambient thing. And then when we reversed the vocal, for me that opened up the whole. I was like standing with my eyes closed, like, and I could see the whole world, the whole movie. And then, yeah, that was really powerful. I feel. And we, again, just like added tiny things on percussion. But my fear was too, like, am I allowed, can a song be like this? I remember coming back to LA and like, it was so much slower than the other versions. Like, is it okay to just have a song? Slower or lower? Slower and lower. Slower, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, maybe it's only powerful to me, this kind of, so so it was a bit scary too, but I took a chance because it just like felt right to me. So what can we hear of all of that? Yeah, we can hear, actually, we can hear, like, organ, of course, but uh, this we had the whole time. It's not much to build a track on, maybe. And what is that? I think it's someone breathing through the pipe. We had that, like, we also had... I'm I'm talking about the rhythm thing now Mm. because it came back at the end that guy is coming back to the little like it's not really like heavy drums you can't say that but we got that back at the end. But what happened in the, in the first bit was we, we got the, um, the organ. Yeah, the, I think the beginning too is also very special, just the vocal and the organ. And there's this kind of like dripping organ thing that you did too in the, in the what first. What was that? Yeah, this is the... Um, maybe you don't want to hear that. This is verse that we played together, no click. Like it was really... Bear, and then a little more like organ. What do we have more? Yeah, some like da-da-da-da-da. oh yeah 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 those things that drop. Here we go. Those things. 
and then back in vocals. And then in verse two, then we got like a little. We can call that the I Follow Rivers organ. And then we have the Moog Rogue comes in, you know, some synth stuff. That's the the harmonies too. And here goes the backward reversed vocals. So we got that at the end, and that was. And then we got sort of a new melody too when we put that reversed. We always liked this mortal coil too, and it was a little bit vibe from that, right? Yeah, I was thinking that. It has a kind of song to the siren feel to it. I mean, that to me, I remember hearing that song for the first time, and kind of my only wish for myself was to like ever make, like that vocal to me is so transcendent. Like I was like, if I could, you know, that's been my North Star this whole time, and I'm not even close, but that has always kind of been in the back of my mind that I want to do something that's so based on just like the vocal as an instrument. Yeah. So inspired by Liz Fraser. How long ago did you hear that? Or was that a more recent discovery? I mean, so long ago, like on my first album, but obviously there's no way I could like pull something off then. So it took me so many albums to like get to that place, I feel. Yeah, that's interesting. And it's interesting with the reversed vocal as well, because Liz Fraser's style, you know, she started out singing almost gibberish, just singing, yeah. you know, rather than specific words and, and has often experimented with that idea. And when you have, you know, you reverse your vocal, you know, we can't understand what you're saying. It creates a different kind of aesthetic, doesn't it? Yeah. And also I, I felt like it kind of became, you know, it's like the song is about like turn around, like don't go, like let's unwind this whole story or like the movie. And I feel like the reverse vocal is almost like the secret to it all and you don't understand it. And you're like, I just wish I knew what you said in this final. It's kind of the key to like the whole story that we just don't get to understand Mm. and just feel. Yeah. And that is reflected in the films that you've put with each song on the album in that really clever way of using, you know, a a looped piece of film in that each each film one minute long but it keeps going back to the beginning and plays through but is the duration of each song am i right in that yeah and it can be the duration i mean i'm actually working on an installation right now where we do the whole even the movies like everything in reverse forward and like it's just about that infinity loop like it becomes mm. a mantra the videos and yeah. the longer you watch them hopefully the deeper they sink in and 
and you can play the music, the whole album in reverse too, and it's a beautiful experience. It's really quite multidimensional. Yeah, which ties in with the the palindromic aspect of the title, exactly, and the way the films are, are kind of palindromes in a way, and then so you can actually go back and listen to the whole album kind of backwards, and it makes sense. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, I will release that, so it will it will be available in the fall, and it sounds amazing. <laughs> From yeah, now on, I kind really of exciting. only want to make music like that. Right. Wow. Gosh, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's okay. quite Good to a know. ambition. <laughs> 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 but it is amazing because I, I, when I first started looking at the films, mm. I didn't quite realize that the film itself was just one minute long and that it would repeat. Yeah. And it's really interesting because each time you you see it, it takes on a different. Yeah. Meaning in a way, or, mm. or you know, you notice different aspects of what's going on. Yeah. Because you're seeing them again, and you notice, oh, oh, things keep attracting you and keep striking you that as you watch the film again and again. So, say, like if a song is three minutes long, you'll end up seeing the film three times. You know. Exactly. Um, and it's fascinating the way that works. And also how it changes based on what you're, because if you change the sound too, you'll you'll have a different experience too. So yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, definitely. And and another interesting aspect of You and I is that the song itself is really, you know, four minutes and 17 seconds long or so. Yeah. And then there's this kind of ambient passage and then you can hear conversation between the two of you and then there's a little bit of singing and then, and it's fascinating to listen to. Well, I put one of the voice memos in the end, like the first time it was conceived to kind of like bring it back again to the beginning. Yeah, because then when you listen to the album from the start, it has that same kind of ambience. So, you know, again, the palindrome kicks in and you start it listening to the record again. So how did you decide about that kind of ambient quality and the use of that and then those little bits of speech? I mean, do you have those, Björn? Are we able to have a little snippet of that? I think that's actually something that I put on from my phone. Right. So I don't think you have it, Björn. But No, we just did this... There is supposed to sound like a film. Oh, but I added quite a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, at the, at end, the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. That's, that, I don't even have that stuff. Yeah, uh, I added yeah. my dad records yeah. these like little crickets to start singing from right, the rain. Right, right. And then I added more things and then I, I put the little voice memo in at the end too. So right, you kind right, of right. end where you began, like on the crime scene. And also I felt yeah. like it was such a emotionally dense album that you needed some time to decompress otherwise it's too much well i found it really contemplative you know you end up thinking about what you've been listening to you know as it kind of fades out yeah. and cross fades into that that series of ambient recordings so they're in effect a series of field recordings in different places that they're you've... actually i put it on every like so i should also you maybe mention that you know i was supposed to mix in sweden with bjorn and lasse but then Lasse got COVID and I couldn't really stay. So so I went, went went in with Sean Everett and I spent, you know, months sitting next to him, like in a way that I've never, I mean, a total nightmare to everyone. Um, nobody probably wants to sit with me behind them for like months, like move this. So like we kind of took, because a lot of these recordings, you know, we didn't spend like months and months and months like working on like, so they were quite raw so really in the mix is like I kind of put layers and layers and layers. Like we put it back on tape, put it out. We recorded it 
like on some things we like I put a condom on a mic and put it in a bucket of water and like recorded it from underwater you know so like I was really playing with like space and time and layers and layers and layers and layers in the mix so there was also a lot that got done there which was really interesting in a way that I haven't done before so those that was all added and that's added across the whole of the album yeah and like all the little like intros and outros because I wanted it to feel like a movie like you close your eyes and it's just one long journey and like I'm taking you from one room sometimes we go up in space sometimes we're back in the bedroom some you know we go into the dream I wanted to play with with time and also where you know I was panning things left and right and so I wanted you to really like trip out on it yeah that's fascinating I think maybe we should be using elements of of those ambient recordings that are found at the end of you and I while we're talking, so people can hear that, yeah, um, like like a, an ambient track, exactly, um, which runs through the whole album. I find that fascinating, and that's yeah. one of the reasons why you don't really know when the album ends, and then if you've got it looping round again, it just kind of starts up again, and you're back into yeah. no hotel and and away you go. Yeah, and I would also recommend because I get a little bit bummed because I I did it and you know th- my album was like 33.33 I was listening to it in one long file and then obviously you have to do it for Spotify and like Spotify shuffles it so like that was a bit heartbreaking for me that like my masterpiece probably is shuffled for everyone else in the world. <laughs> yeah, no, if they yeah. keep like you know? shuffle It's really, you know, like the way to hear it is in in one long go. That is the way to hear it. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, But I thought there was now a facility where you can take shuffle off. I I think Adele, actually. Someone said that Adele made Spotify take the shuffle thing off. So thank you, Adele. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, should we have a little reprise of of you and I, uh, the kind of main section of it? before we ask the final two questions of the podcast that we ask everybody who comes on the show. of you and I in here and also it's interesting how across the whole album you know these choices that you've made with regard to instrumentation and how the organ and the piano take on characters of their own that are crucial to the whole record you know that reflect the journey that you've created with the songs yeah at the end you kind of get to hear like the whole palette like all the what the palette was you know what the colors were. It's been really interesting to be able to talk about the album with you both and hear so much about it. We always ask everybody who comes on take notes a couple of questions, um, which 
I'm going to do now. And the first of them is a tech question, whether you have a favorite piece of kit or a favorite piece of equipment that you can't create without. And from what you were saying earlier, Bjorn, I wondered whether it was that guitar, the guitar that you've now bought nine versions of. Yeah, I think uh, for me it's the guitar. But also I like to, for every record, it's interesting to find like a piece of equipment that you use a lot. So we use the organ and that pipe effect for this record. And for maybe the first record we used, uh, you know, something different. So I think it's good to like use the same thing, maybe a coherent sound for the whole album. So, you know, it could change too. What about you, Lekke? What would you feel that you always need to create? To be honest, it's not that I need it, but you know what I use a lot is the voice memo because, you know, you need something to be able to remember what you're creating. And on the first albums, we had this like tape recorder. We would record it on tape and then like listen back. So I do use the voice memo quite a bit. And then also, yeah, the AKG mic that I have, you know, hooked up to, to amps. I have that kind of here by my piano and I, I do it like that. Yeah. And um, Björn, I mean, in terms of plugins and things like that, I mean, do you, do you have favorites with regard to how you record sounds or manipulate sounds? I don't use that much plugins because I use sort of the mm. hardware. I, I bought all the synths before plugins were any good. So, but um, I think Lycke liked, we had this little like amp too, a uh, battery operated uh, roll on. Yeah. Roland amp that we carried around, you know, so, and to get the sound of that amp, we used sometimes, I think like Microshift, like... Uh, sound toy? Sound toys, yeah. Like something like that to like emulate, so she would be like overdubbed or something like that. That would be pretty important to use that, you know, but plugins, I'm no big... Plug-in user, yeah. actually. Thank God. <laughs> um, and the other question we always ask people is about advice, whether you've received any advice or whether you've learned something along the way that you would want to pass on. And I was thinking about you, Leke, and, and the resilience that you've shown in order to get where you've got, you know, especially in those early days when you seem to meet so much resistance to your vision, your own idea of what you were interested in and what you wanted to do how did you survive that you know how did you get through that i mean to be honest uh, i have resistance every day everywhere and i think being an artist in general is like always having to like push through i mean you know like making a video making an image it's like it becomes it's like oh we don't have the money to do this or can i do this no you can't do it so it's like that's just being an artist is like dealing with resistance from all like technical resistance like economic resistance or you know there's so much that you have to always like push through but the advice I could give is kind of what I try to use a lot is um, the only way out is in so really to just like uh, follow your own vision and stay really true to what you feel and your own tuning fork. And that's very important for me when I write that, like, if it's not completely 1000% true and honest to me, I, I kind of, I don't feel it. So like I'm using my like truth tuning fork 
always when I work. Like it has to like resonate with me. Yeah. A truth tuning fork. <laughs> I love that idea. I think that sounds kind great. Of, right? um, and also the only way out is in, but you mean stay in. So stay in your own vision. You stay in, in touch with what you're trying to do. Yeah, stay in or like, you know, if you're feeling, I mean, I think the only, you know, the reason why we make art is to like understand ourselves and like get through suffering. So like if you are in that moment, I mean, it's like anything, right? Like the more you resist, the more it persists or something. So you have to really like get out what you have on the inside, you know? I mean, maybe this is also because I've done so much psychedelics. I've become such a... Is, is the psychedelics a new thing? It's a, it's a psychedelic TED talk. You know, well, it was in combination with this album that I really was like doing a lot of that mm. work. And this is microdosing. No, this is macrodosing on macrodosing macro, on a macro level. How, yeah. Can you explain what you mean? But Ben, how how much is macro? Oh, I mean, if you're talking psilocybin, it's like eight grams. It's like the ego death, heroic dose. But also, you know, ayahuasca, 5-MeO, DMT, all, all that type of things. You know, where, that's where you really start understanding also what music is all about. Because, you know, when you are making music, you're already tapping into kind of the divine and that like other world and like for sure when you are there you're like oh hi Jimi hendrix beatles grateful dead like anyone who's done anything good has been to this side obviously whether they've been using substance or not i mean they have let's be honest yeah i mean what 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 was like Jimi hendrix do you think he was just like waking up in the morning having a coffee and playing the guitar like that <laughs> was practicing <laughs> he practiced he for years. Music school. <laughs> <laughs> Board school. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm projecting. Maybe they have not. I don't know. Seems like it to me, but. And do you get supervision during this, or are you? Oh yeah, yourself? are you kidding me? Yeah. yeah, I highly recommend it to Bjorn, especially. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait until he does ayahuasca, and then we can finally make some really, you know, <laughs> good music. I'm, I'm a nature Amazing. guy. <laughs> and Björn, do you have any advice, or have you received any advice along the way that you not on this level? Or? No, <laughs> <laughs> not until now. <laughs> I wish I had, though. But uh, I can give. I can. I, I have so much. I can pour out. This some is more. sort of. Um, it's advice. Yes. <laughs> what Vicky does, and what actually Chrissy Hine told me that she, or what she did, I made a record with her. And she always went back to the demo, first demo. You know, that's why it's important, Lyke, that you say also that you have your voice memos, you know, up and running, yeah. and you go back to them. And she always, like, when we finished the song, she went back to the version before, version before that, and then, like, the original version to see if we lost something, you know, or if it was something there that we that was better or like more, you know, intense. And then we, if it was better and she liked it, but then we went back and just, you know, scratch the whole, whatever you worked on for two weeks or, you know, and just like, no, it sounds better as it was the first day, you know, and then you go back. I think that's a good advice actually go back and say, but to a point you can't be obsessed with like, you can't have both, but you should definitely look back because you can get lost in yourself. 
when you work with music it's very it's so much detail so you can definitely like you have to zoom out before you make the final decision i think yeah very interesting and how was that with chrissy when that happened did you think oh no but we've wasted those two weeks now or, yeah, or did we, you think no right she's i mean of course look and uh, chris and all, all the artists are always right but i think sometimes if they don't do it it's tough for a producer i mean because if you say it as a producer it can become a little bit like insecure you spread like insecureness like to the artist so but maybe i you know i, I think it's a good idea to just go back and listen maybe, maybe put the demo in so you can always go back and listen to it and then if you put strings on it and it doesn't sound uh, bigger or whatever you want to achieve lose them you know like get them out of there so it doesn't matter all the work you did you know go back yeah I think something that's we try to do too, like you have to be quite strict and like kill your darlings, mm. right? Isn't that already an expression? But it's true. You have to be quite strict. And brave and strong, I yeah. would say. That's the hard part. Like, I mean, killing your darling is not that hard. It's just like making the decision like, okay, and you invest so much in all these things. So you have to like, do you want to hear it on your album, you know, or not in like five years, you know, do you want to live with mm. this? I mean, it's it's hard to do it, but if you, the more you can do it, the more, the more fulfilled you feel with your work. I think. Yeah. Well, I think that's fascinating advice. It's been so great to be able to speak to you both. Thank you so much. Thank you for being Thank on you. Take Notes and for sharing the background and the inspirations behind I. Really, really exciting and really, really interesting. Um, we should play one more selection from the album. I was thinking maybe Happy Hurts would be a good way to round things off. Yeah. Excellent. Well, let's hear it now then. Lickay, Björn, thank you very much indeed. Thank you so much. Thank you. And here is Happy Hurts from I by Lickay Lee. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have a moment, do tell your friends and leave us a review. It all really helps. Thanks to those of you who have already donated to the show. I'm just one part of the team that brings you tape notes. It relies on your support. If you'd like to donate, please head to our website. Once again, thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Silver chair